Sam, why does this recording sound different from all other recordings? <laughs> very topical joke, David. We are currently in my living room and my kitchen. It's very nice. Because uh, we decided to uh, record on the road today. <laughs> uh, Sam does not live in a car. Uh, we're in a real house. We are. Um, but basically, because it's Easter Sunday, we figured that we might not uh, go out onto the streets today. <laughs> um, the first thing that we should say is this is the first of a series of archives that we're airing from Jewish Digest, hosted by Leslie Lutsky. Uh, if you've never heard of it, just listen to the last episode. Yeah, this is one of those moments where if you're listening to a podcast, the podcast host will be like, stop right now and go to the previous episode of the show. Yeah. And, and alternatively, if you don't want to hear us talking about completely unrelated things for probably at least five minutes, uh, I would say fast forward uh, in the episode. and You can just hear the archive. There might even be a link in the show notes to tell you exactly where to go in this episode if you want to stop listening to us talk. And if it's not there, uh, your fault for making false promises, Sam. <laughs> so getting back to the issue of the day, David. What's the issue of the day? Last night, I was trying to go to bed. It was about 12, 1230. And um, I heard a bunch of people chanting and fireworks going off in the background. Oh, really? Apparently, it is a Greek Easter custom. Oh, that's neat. And there were fireworks going off all day today. Happy Passover. <laughs> I think it's an appropriate time for us to say nishkashtoigen, nishkafloigen. Oh, yes, indeed. Care to translate that? Uh, it means uh, didn't rise up, didn't fly up in Yiddish. And it's a skeptical way of talking about the story of Easter. Speaking of, I kind of went on a tangent this week. I was procrastinating a little bit, and I was trying to find out the timeline of Jesus's death. Hold on. Before we get into that, Sam, I think if we're going to be that skeptical about the Easter story, we should be equally skeptical about the Passover story. No? <laughs> 100% equal opportunity critics of organized religion. I was going to say something to the effect of like an unending sea of frogs. I don't believe it. A sea of frogs? An unending cascade of frogs. I don't believe it. All right. Well, you've heard it here first. Uh, doubt cast onto the authenticity of the Passover story. Particularly the frogs. Um, but Sam, I know that uh, before we get to today's short, you wanted to talk about a lot of different things because we haven't been, had a chance to really chat for a while. First of all, a big time shkoyach, even though this isn't the exact right time for us to be doing this, but a big time shkoyach to Jfredge once again who organized a Seder in the streets a couple days ago. It looked great from a distance, <laughs> from all the, the pictures and reporting that we saw. Great photos, whoever took those photos. Um, but it was ultimately an action in Manhattan, I believe, maybe it was Brooklyn, somewhere in New York City, challenging uh, the broken windows policing, as well as immigration and detention questions. So shout out to them. A few folks got arrested. Thankfully, they got out fairly quickly. Yeah, and this is something we say a lot on the podcast. But shkoyach to Jfredge and the folks who are, are leading the campaigns that are happening there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other elephant in the room here, David, starts with the letter C and ends with the letter J. What's the last letter? J. I'm not familiar with that letter. It's a hybrid usage of J and N. J and N? Starts with C. Those seem like very different letters. Ends with J. Like Cajun? Are you talking about Remy LeBeau, Gambit? Nope, don't get that joke. Uh, he's an X-Man. C-J-N, come on. Oh, the Canadian Jewish News. Yes. Okay. okay. Oh, but are we going to talk about that thing? <laughs> David, I think that the people who listen to the show probably listened to the Canaline episode. And for those in Canada, maybe they read the C-J-N. And maybe they're not on Facebook and didn't see our, our note. I mean, I don't feel like we need to give more attention to this, to be honest. David, would the phrase be putting oil on a hot fire? That is a phrase that exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did I want to talk about? Okay, well, ultimately... We had a little chit-chat on Canada land. 
Yanni Goldstein, the editor of the Korean Jewish News, was there. We ended up talking about an issue that we agreed in advance would probably be the one issue that the Korean Jewish News would focus on and not the substance of our conversation, which was that radical anti-colonial views aren't particularly welcome in institutional Jewish publications. And guess what happened? Um, well, what, maybe you can say what the issue was that we thought might get focused on disproportionately. We were concerned that the question posed to us concerning the representation of Jewish people in the media might be an issue that folks would latch on to at the expense of what I would say are the more substantial elements of what we had to say. Anyway, long story short, Yoni Goldstein, the editor of Canadian Jewish News, wrote a short column characterizing a brief exchange we had at the beginning of the show about this issue in a way that is a lot different from my recollection of that conversation, is a lot different from what I heard on the recording, is a lot different from what everybody I know who listened to it took away from it. And we, we wrote in detail about what exactly that difference was and why we thought it was a problem. So check it out on Facebook.com. Uh, oh, I we get... shouldn't plug Facebook.com. They're, they're, they're monsters. <laughs> I mean, I think it bears noting that we reached out to Yoni and he didn't really want to change anything of substance. Well, I don't, I don't think we're entitled to, to like, Yoni doesn't get in touch with us every time we characterize the Canadian Jewish News in a way he disagrees with, right? Like, it's his paper. He can write what he wants. I don't feel like we're entitled to any kind of change. Touche. But I just, you know, we wrote it online just in case folks who didn't listen to the Canada Land episode had only encountered Yoni's characterization. We just wanted to clear it up. And so you feel like the air is cleared. Yeah, yeah. I think we've set our piece, and I, and and we should just move on. Absolutely no miasma, just clear air. But what's, what's miasma? <laughs> I don't remember the full definition, but it's some kind of like it's it's something to do with air. It's something to do. Can look it up? Yep. A highly unpleasant or unhealthy smell or vapor. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't think there's any of that. No more miasma. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're gonna leave. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna leave this behind and never talk about it again. Uh, See you later, Canada Land episode. What's, what's what's next on your list, Sam? I mean, the last thing that we need to get to is, I mean, okay, so this is very low-hanging fruit. Hopefully that means it is more sweet and delicious. I don't necessarily know if I want this podcast to be on a space where we reflect on this particular issue, but it seems kind of so glaring that I want to at least refer to it. Wait, is this about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? <laughs> no, but the most recent episodes are brutal. I started watching again because you said it was good. I have not seen any evidence of this. <laughs> and the whole time, like, what is Sam talking about? No, it's it's getting bad. I think season three might have been good, but four is a disaster. Anyway, what, what, did, what did you want to bring up? The term globalist was thrown around a great deal in the American press recently. Oh, yeah, it's true. I've been noticing that. It's a word that really is usually reserved for, like, the fringes of the World Wide Web. Yeah, like when you're talking about the international banking conspiracy. The international Jewish banking conspiracy. Well, I feel like often they use it, it's just implied. Yes, but that, there's, there, there's overlap there. 100%. So one Kush, a.k.a. the son-in-law of Trumpito. Uh, Jared Kushner. <laughs> people have been calling him globalist. He's in some weird little back and forth with Steve Bannon, notorious racist, etc. I think that it's interesting that globalist is now terminology used on Politico.com, New York Times, etc. But I think it's only being used when they're saying this far-right figure used this term. Like, I don't think Politico is using the term. Oh, yeah, sure. But just the fact that it has currency in a way that it, like, didn't or yeah. doesn't prior to a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But I do think that an increased engagement with the term globalist and all the ide ideology behind it is something to note. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But getting back to, to the short that we're airing today, to give some context... It is an interview that was recorded over 20 years ago in Toronto by Leslie Lutsky, 
It was an interview with someone named Leslie Tager, who was a member of an organization that was called the Jewish Feminist Anti-Fascist League. Jafafel. Just one of many bizarre Jewish leftist acronyms that we continue to use. But one of the reasons that we wanted to start with this clip is because given the political realities that we're grappling with today and the resurgence of far-right activity, there's been a lot of talk on the Jewish left about anti-fascist organizing and what that looks like and what the history of specifically Jewish anti-fascist organizing is. And we thought that this group would be a very useful way of tapping into a history of doing that work here. And although we might not agree with everything that is said in this interview, we thought it would be useful to share a bit of this history. Hope that you enjoy. Hi, my name's Les. <laughs> okay. Les, how did the Jewish Feminist Anti-Fascist League start? Um, well, technically, it started at a Rosh Hashanah party one evening, and um, I was talking to a woman uh, about the fact that uh, we definitely needed a women's anti-fascist group in this city. And uh, she said, well, we actually need a Jewish women's anti-fascist group in this city. And uh, and um, that made a lot of sense to me. And uh, so we collected numbers just from that party. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, um, I called folks. We got together and we had our first meeting on November 4th, I think it was. and. And then we started, at first we were called the Jewish Women's Anti-Fascist League, and then we had a long, drawn-out meeting about the, the difference between Jewish women's and Jewish feminist, and what that meant, and, and uh, definitions of feminism and women, and who that would, would include and exclude, and things like that. So that's uh, basically it. Um, why does the group have to be a Jewish feminist? Um, well, we needed a Jewish group uh, that was doing anti-fascist work, definitely, because there, uh, well, obviously there's a major kind of resurgence or escalation, at least they're more visible now to us. They're becoming more brave and brazen um, and obnoxious and uh, terrifying. And uh, the so the Heritage Front, the Church of the Creator, um, and then various uh, infiltrations from American Nazi parties and groups um, are coming and recruiting um, young white working class boys into their uh, craziness, as everyone knows. So um, we just saw this escalation, the, the desecration of cemeteries and, and synagogues and various, um, you know, the, the media would like to say isolated beatings of Jews and killings, but um, they're all connected to this this uh, more uh, more obvious hatred that's um, starting to become more and more acceptable with the whole backlash of the 80s, I guess. So we, um, myself, I was starting to feel very um, powerless and frustrated and just really sad and angry about the whole thing, and I really needed to put my energy into something. And it, it was time for me, personally, and I think that's the same thing that happened with a lot of women in the group, is that they really 
um, needed a place to go to be Jewish, to be feminist, um, and to do anti-fascist and anti-racist and anti-anti-Semitic work. And so then um, the feminist part, I guess, um, would be partially what how we organize the group itself so that we um, don't have presidents and things like that and we try to stay away from hierarchy and we try to deal with things on consensus and we try to explore um, what d different women need and want in the group into something that we can hopefully act on. Were other Jewish organizations in Toronto working for the same means, either Canadian Jewish Congress or B'nai B'rith? Were they working for the same things? Yes. Well, the, I mean, that's the problem, right? I, um, there's not enough uh, feminist work coming from those groups, um, certainly, and not enough um, what I would say was a, more of a radical kind of understanding or analysis of the way things work. So they're very, it appears to me that they're very kind of focused on Jewish oppression, and uh, definitely we are. But we also are really, really clear that the links between ourselves and other communities have to be made. And um, so, besides, like, you know, homophobia and misogyny, and just or just um, you know, kind of a good-intentioned liberalism that ends up being quite dangerous when you're trying to make links and trying to cross those barriers that have been uh, set up between Jews and, and other groups who are targeted by fascists, and we, we are kind of that bridge. What kind of activities do the Jewish Feminist Anti-Fascist League get involved in? Well, our first involvement was, I think, around, uh, it was very, it was quite recently um, after we had started. It was probably, I can't remember the exact date, maybe de uh, December or January, and this was professor at U of T, uh, Joe Fletcher, a poli-sci teacher who was teaching a course on racism and intolerance or some something, and, and decided that um, for his class he would invite the Heritage Front, <laughs> nobody else but the Heritage Front, into his classroom to talk, given that they were doing a, a course on, on intolerance. So they brought the experts on racism, so to speak, as the papers like to call them, and um, gave them a, a forum within a university, within a university, you know, that is supposed to be set up for everyone and invite them into a classroom to do this. And of course they took a vote, so it was fine, right? So anyway, we were incensed. It was totally uh, disgusting and we uh, put out a pamphlet talking about the incident and our stand on it and uh, um, organized a very small, well, which, which ended up being very small, we didn't intend it that way, but it was very small kind of demo in front of uh, U of T, um, the, uh, I can't remember, the Sid Smith building. And the anti-racist action, a lot of anti-racist action members came, so that was good. And of course the Nazis were right across the street taunting us and uh, they had a, a megaphone and they had cameras and... Were there police between you and the Nazis? Yeah, the police were right near the Nazis. Uh, there was about two cops, and um, of course they're not allowed to intervene because these guys, you know, they're not doing anything. They're just expressing their free uh, expression and speech, so they're not allowed to uh, immediately do anything unless, you know, un until the time when they decide to take a bat to our heads. So yeah, there were cops there, and um, <clears throat> as usual, and then we break out into, you know, the cops and clan go hand in hand every... <laughs> so.
<clears throat> has the league done other activities as well? Oh yeah, right. Uh, well, that was the first thing, and I think um, well, there's lots of things that have come up that uh, we um, try to have a voice in, and, and that includes like letter writing. Like there was um, Youth Link, which is a uh, I guess it's a collection of uh, girls shelters for young women. There was a whole I don't know if you know the story, but there was a whole mess where <clears throat> the Heritage Front were threatening some members of the staff uh, as well as clients, young women clients. A firebomb was set off on the back patio of one of the houses. So we got very involved with that, and there was a big conflict within that social work community as to the response. And basically, the government and uh, the management of this of these clinics decided that they would close down. That was the response. So we were very nervous that they were bowing to the wishes of the Nazis. And these are women who are already extremely uh, vulnerable in so many ways. So we participated in that in the way that we wrote letters and in the way that we showed support for some of the women who um, wanted to go public with this and wanted to fight the Heritage Front instead of bowing down to them. So those are the kind of things we do. As well, um, on April, um, 19th, the uh, 50th commemoration of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, we organized an information rally at the 519, which lasted about an hour and a half, and we had uh, various speakers from Jafafel and one man who was a partisan resistance fighter in Poland, a Jewish man, he spoke, and uh, he knew that the topic, we, we were trying to also bring particular attention to women resistance fighters, since they're often kind of left out of those things and so we showed slides of various women resistance fighters and just it was basically an, an information extravaganza to to Jews and non-Jews so it was a great turnout it was uh, it was really great I, th I would say there was about 500 or more people and afterwards we uh, had a demonstration we marched from the 519 to Allen's Garden Allen Gardens which in the 60s apparently Allen Gardens was kind of uh, I'm not sure of the exact story, but basically some not somebody from the Nazi party um, demonstrated there and tried to rally support and um, a whole bunch of folks went down and protested and got them got them uh, to back up to back out. So um, that was kind of an, uh, making historical links and uh, between fascism then fascism now. It sounds like your the Jewish feminist anti-fascist league has quite a presence in Toronto. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we're really new, but at the same time, at the at the same time, I think I think because we're so unique in a, in a sense that we're Jewish, that we're very that we're quite our politics are quite radical and not mainstream, that um, many of us are dykes, that all of us are feminists, and so I th I really think we're unique, and I think other leftist groups doing anti-fascist and anti-racist work are very relieved that we're around. You know, we've been present at anti-showboat demonstrations supporting the coalition to stop showboat, although there are many disagreements within our group as to how stopping showboat would work, especially around questions of censorship. Perhaps you should tell Montrealers a little bit what showboat is. Well, showboat is a, uh, it's a, it's a play that's being put on. It's opening this, uh, a new North York uh, theater center, some monster theater center. And it's being put on by a Jewish producer called um, Garth Drabinsky. And the reason I mention that he's Jewish is because that's, unfortunately, from um, many people wi in, within 
um, left anti-racist uh, movement have been trying trying to look at this as a Jewish black issue and saying how could this Jewish man produce such racist crap um, about blacks? The play is supposed. I haven't seen it and I haven't read it, but apparently it's basically a very um, uh, thoughtless and hurtful kind of rendition of slavery and showing slaves being happy and in their uh, situation, which of course, so a lot of um, Afro-Canadians and other blacks are really uh, disturbed, and as well as many other communities of color and, and many, many Jews are really incensed about it. But it, um, the way it's been set up is really a black Jewish thing. And, and people are slowly breaking that down in the media, et cetera, but it's, it's uh, difficult. And I think Cher, which is a largely a, a Caribbean and uh, a new newspaper for Toronto, started to really break that down. And um, a lot of Jews have written in in support of what, what the uh, Coalition to Stop Showboat is doing. So we've supported that too. We've been present at some of the demos. And I think people are really excited to see some Jewish kind of radical groups. How does the anti-fascist league get on with the rest of the leftist community? Are there any problems because it's a Jewish group? I think people are still very nervous about trusting Jewish groups, partially out of anti-Semitism and partially because they deal with the you know, so-called voice of the Jewish community, which is B'nai B'rith or CJC. And they don't, um, they have this idea that Jews can't be too radical, even though, you know, that's the other stereotype of Jews. They have this, all of the anti-Semitic stereotypes that Jews have too much money and are too comfortable to really go out there on the front lines. We did that, you know, 50, 60, 100 years ago, but we don't need to do that anymore. And I was even told that. What about the mainstream Jewish community in Toronto here? Have they been supportive or acknowledged the anti-fascist league at all? Um... No, no, they really haven't. I think um, the closest uh, we came so far, like uh, again, we're very new and we're still working on that. And that's something that that we're going to spend time on is trying to hook up with some mainstream um, Jewish groups. But the closest we came was um, ARA had a demonstration in January against the Heritage Front at the courthouse. This is uh, Wolfgang Drogi and his uh, hate line, where he's being taken to the uh, Human Rights Commission for hate propaganda, and um, we, there was a protest, and uh, it was very, very excellent. There were, there were about 30 Nazis and 500 of us, and of course, um, the uh, cops decided to let the Heritage Front through to the courtroom. We were blocking the courtroom steps. So they, uh, without warning on their megaphone or anything, just came at us with their horses, and it was quite terrifying and um, very, very dangerous. Luckily, um, nobody was hurt too, too badly, but in the mainstream media, Anti-racist action was portrayed, of course, as being, uh, you know, kind of these, uh, you know, some kind of youth vigilante troop that, you know, wants to go out and cause riots, and it was very, very bad. And um, the mainstream Jewish community was basically supporting that um, per perception in a lot of ways. And we, what J what Jafafel did was write a letter to these mainstream Jewish groups and say it is extremely dangerous to participate in that kind of division, given that we have so much damn work to be done in the anti-fascist and anti-racist movements, it's really, really dangerous 
to participate in, in this, you know, some anti-racist groups are really bad and violent and they don't know what they're doing. And, and also their perception is that the, this is the other reason why I would say that I differ with a lot of mainstream groups, including Jewish groups, is because they have this perception that you, the only way to do anti-fascist work is through the courts. And of course, I don't hold that view and a lot of people in our group don't hold that view, although some do. And in some cases, okay, go for the courts. But, you know, generally speaking, I don't uh, particularly think that that works. And so, you know, to say that um, peaceful protest via numbers is violent and uh, inciting riot and all of those things, and to justify, especially to justify, in the end, the behavior of the cops to, to attack us with their horses is really, really dangerous. You know, a good chunk of this is is dealing with the cops and their violence. I'd like to ask something else. Does the Jewish Feminist Anti-Fascist League get involved in Jewish activities? Um, I, I think that the uh, Warsaw Ghetto Uprising was probably a good example of... We had lots of Jewish people at our demo, and in fact, we organized the demo with that in mind, that um, confrontation was going to be the last thing we wanted, given that we were going to have a lot of elderly folks there and a lot of um, survivors of the Holocaust and children of survivors of the Holocaust. And we didn't want to to trigger anybody and we didn't want to freak out anybody. And we, you know, and I mean, not that we want confrontation, but we, at some point, you know, we don't have much choice because they confront us. But um, Jewish events, I mean, there's a lot of feminist uh, Jewish feminist kind of events. We A lot of members of Jafafa participated in the February uh, Jewish Feminist Conference at uh, OISE. We all participated also in Melanie K. Kantrowitz's workshop, which uh, was about a month after uh, the, the feminist conference, the Jewish Feminist Conference. And then a lot of uh, individual members um, are variously religious and will participate in in their own spiritual kind of services and things. Would you say that the group attracts people, Jewish people, who normally wouldn't be attracted to Jewish organizations in Toronto? I think a lot of women in the group are coming in, coming into their Judaism or coming into a new kind of sense of Jewishness. So I would say that a lot of people who've been disillusioned with kind of some mainstream Jewish politics are very, very excited to be in a progressive a Jewish group, a radical Jewish group that's that's safe for them to criticize Israel, for example, you know, that's safe for them to talk about all of the complexities of figuring out anti-Semitism and racism and those kind of definitions where you can't do that. You can't talk about Jewish politics in, the, in most of the left and you can't talk about racism it seems uh, and the connections or homophobia in, in a lot of mainstream Jewish politics. So I think this, again, like it, it is, it's a bridge for a lot of women. And I, I mean, we don't um, have particularly religious women in our group per se, like orthodox women or even conservative uh, Jewish women in our group. But it, I would say it's generally a secular group more so, although I don't know if that's fair because a lot of, I, again, a lot of women have their own um, spiritual take on things. Where do you see the group going from here? Well, I think um, that the the fact that we exist is becoming more and more uh, well known, and I think 
that people are starting to have a little more trust and a little more respect. And we're, because we're making links and because we make sure that people recognize that we, that we know the links and that they trust that. So hopefully from here on, we will be, um, more trusted in the, in the larger left community and that communities fighting fascism will be able to come to us for support, for endorsement, to speak at their rallies, which is already happening. And um, I think where we really have to go from now, um, as I think the whole anti-racist and anti-fascist movement has to go, is to broadening out. Um, as Rodney Bobby Wash said, who's, who works with the um, Canadian Native Center, was saying we have to move from not just being in a, a coalition of anti-racist groups, but we have to move into a movement, a full-fledged movement. And I get, to me, movement would mean that we would trickle down into many, many areas where right now there's still, people are still very kind of lackadaisical about, about how extreme racism and fascism is becoming, and especially the fact that the government is now blatantly and obviously instating all these racist policies. So hopefully we'll move into a movement. And um, the other main thing would be that, well, Jafafo's just started a, an education committee. And of course, it seems like it's going to, you know, take up our whole group because all of this seems to be about education in so many ways. And one of the things that we have to do as a group, and we really f uh, feel this strongly, is to edu educate, if I can, if I, I don't have any other word for that, but educate those on the left who claim to be you know, on our side, who claim to be anti-fascist activists and anti-racist uh, activists, to educate them on anti-Semitism. And that means, you know, know your history. You know, don't ever think that you can mention the word fascism or anti-fascism without recognizing the role of Jews and the contribution of Jews and, and the persecution of Jews. And so I think, and I think that's still... As I say, when I talk about trust and things, I think, you know, there's a real reluctance to recognize Jews and that we really need to go into some lefty groups and to have workshops on anti-Semitism and the connections with racism. And, um, and people really have to be accountable if they're going to talk, if they're going to claim to be anti-fascist activists. And there's just no, absolutely no excuse in the world, uh, as far as I'm concerned, for leaving out Jews from that analysis. It's, it's extremely dangerous. And I think, on the other hand, there's, a, there's this real feeling that, well, Jews are white, which is true and which we have to recognize, definitely. We have to recognize that Ashkenazi Jews are white, the majority of Jews in, in North America and et cetera, and that has a you know, definite effect. But this idea that because Jews are white, that they don't experience um, violence and prejudice, and that we're not targets of Nazi violence is ludicrous, is totally ludicrous. And, and I think so that there has to be some work with that, you know, and that is part of figuring out definitions of racism and anti-Semitism and how they are similar and dissimilar. Thank you, Les. Thank you. So this is our first From the Archives short. Now, the thing that kind of resonates with me, and I talked about it in the intro, is just how the Jewish community is being forced to deal with a particular 
fascist element in 2017. We keep getting messages and having conversations with folks in Toronto who are thinking about and trying to imagine what resistance to the JDL looks like in Toronto right now. Yeah, uh, again, JDL, for, for those unfamiliar, is the Jewish Defense League. The only consistent active chapter that we know of is based in Toronto, specifically Thornhill, where I grew up, and the longtime leader of that chapter is now trying to organize chapters in the United States to revive the movement. So it's definitely something to keep in mind. Like I'm sure most people listening are aware, but they were involved in an attack on a 50-year-old Palestinian teacher in Washington at the APAC conference a couple months ago. It actually got a degree of media attention in Canada. Once again, Sija came out with a very disappointing comment talking about how they don't agree with the tactics, but not engaging with any of the substance. Yeah, I think, un unfortunately, the Jewish Defense League has played a role as almost an intellectual vanguard of the uh, institutional Jewish community in Canada over the past 10 years, but they do disagree about their tactics and how to get there. It's more a question of sharing ideas. Uh, but Sam, what do people have to look forward to uh, the next podcast? Some jokes. Uh, could we get some previews on the jokes? <laughs> Maybe your joke about Passover might come? Oh, yeah. Keep an eye out. It just might occur. <laughs> no, but actually, we were at the Jewish Voice for Peace national members meeting in Chicago a few weeks ago. I don't know why I said Chicago like that. And um, we are putting together an episode about that. So that is what is coming out next. What else do we have coming down the pike? Pike? Pipe. I think both could work. Okay. Um, we have an episode sort of kicking off a suite of episodes about the Canadian Jewish left, focusing more on uh, where we're living. We also have an episode about the demise of the Canadian Jewish Congress, which is sort of a long story that we'll get into. We also got a chance to talk with one of the organizers around a campaign against Islamophobia in Chicago particularly the ways in which the Federation, the Jewish Federation in Chicago, supports pretty explicit anti-Muslim actors. Yeah, and how they're uh, working to stop that. Uh, as usual, if you have any ideas for things we should be covering or people you think we should be talking to, uh, just send us a suggestion at trafepodcast.gmail.com. Traif Podcast is... Sam Bick. And David Zinman. Uh, thanks to CKUT, where we usually record our podcast under the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganagahaga territory. Who are we thanking today? We're thanking our staff rabbi, Ariana Katz. We are thanking Sack Syndrome and Josh Dolgan for the music. We're thanking our social media coordinator, Kira Page. See Lavery for poster design. We're thanking Cadence O'Neill for the World Wide Web help and Claire Hertig for general graphic designery. Like Sam said earlier, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at T-R-E-Y-F, Trafe Podcast, and send us an email at trafepodcast at gmail.com. Hate mail, suggestions, just wanted to say hi. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Pew, pew. See you in two weeks. Thank you.